Coming up on today's show. He's like, well, I'm, I'm here with John Legend. We just finished writing a song and um, we, we want to demo it and we need somebody to, you know, to record it. And I, I thought for, I don't know, maybe two seconds. And I said, yeah, no problem. I'll be there. <laughs> be there in 10 minutes. What started as one night turned to a few. Told myself, no way I catch feelings for you. And I'm losing my mind, so what did I do? Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I say that all the time because I mean it. Honestly, please give me your feedback on this show. Yes, through email or through social media DMs, but honestly, I'd love to actually talk with you by phone. I will tell you specifically how you can do that coming up. Joining me today on location at the NAM Show in Anaheim, California, my guest is a storyteller who is passionate about helping artists achieve their unique creative vision. He achieves this mission as a record producer, audio engineer, educator, and the owner of The Record Shop, a recording studio and multimedia production company in Nashville. He has worked with artists ranging from John Legend and Juicy J to Big and Rich and Tim McGraw to Zach Wilde and The Wallflowers. He is a frequent NAM presenter slash panelist and Recording Academy mentor who is passionate about sharing his story of entrepreneurship in the recording industry. You've been hearing a song that he helped write and produce called Simple Love. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Sean Giovanni. How's it going? Great. Good to see you. Thanks for making time to do this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. Good to have you here. And before we dive into all that you're doing and have done, share with the audience all about that song that was just playing called Simple Love. Simple Love is one of my favorite songs that I've uh, produced recently. It was written and uh, recorded by an artist named Leah Colon. Uh, I've been working with her for a while. And when she brought the song in, it was in a uh, very um, just kind of basic form with a guitar and vocal um, but we had this idea around it about creating a real nostalgic uh, kind of vintage vibe with a modern pop edge uh, type of treatment around it. And we spent a lot of time working on uh, the arrangement and how we could make all that happen you know, through it. And I just love how it turned out. I like that story because it sounds like she was very open to your input. And what I'm referring to is some artists, as I'm sure you know, will go in and they have their mind made up and they really don't want you to do a whole lot versus someone who's going to say, you're the producer, you produce, you do what you're going to do on it. And it sounds like you were really able to kind of get in there and roll up your sleeves with her and with that song. Yeah, we really meshed well as collaborators. And that's how I look at my job as a producer is as a collaborator. So I I never walk into a session with the mindset of I'm going to change what the artist does. The only thing that I want to do is put a stronger spotlight on what they do and what makes them unique and, and special. And sometimes there's things that the, the artist is, is looking for the producer to help them bring out of it. 
uh, when artists are, are very hard set on a specific way that the song needs to be, then what I'm looking for is finding elements like sonic elements, uh, new sounds, dynamic changes within the arrangement uh, that can help to tell their story and make that story speak in the right way rather than trying to get them to change something. But if they come in and say, hey, I really like the you know foundational vibe of this song, but I feel like it just doesn't hit right in the chorus or I feel like it needs a stronger mm. bridge to be able to get there, then that's where I'm going to work with them a little bit deeper into uh, refining that aspect of it and helping them you know evolve the song. And that happens a lot in pre-production. For me, pre-production is just the... the most exciting and uh, important part of the process because that's where I'm really getting in the artist's creative mind to figure out what it is that they want their record to sound like once it's done. And then we have time to explore ideas and listen to music that we enjoy uh, and just talk about the general idea and inspiration behind the song. So by the time we get in the studio and we actually press record, both of us have a clear vision that is on the same page about where the song is going to end up. And I find that that makes it pretty smooth. I like that because there's no surprises at that point. The artist isn't caught off guard because you did spend so much time in pre-production. And even if you feel so strongly about something and you can tell, I know this artist is dead set in their ways. This is you kind of thinking through this, but I really think that this would sound terrific in this part of the song. I guess the worst that can happen is you bring it up and they say, I don't like it, as opposed to you kind of sitting there and saying, I can tell what their personality is. I guess I better just hold back on my creative because they seem like they've got their their heart set on going in this direction. Mm-hmm. And you throw it out there in pre-production and maybe they go, you know what, that actually is a good suggestion. Yeah. I mean, a big part of uh, your job as a producer is psychology and reading reading people and, you know, and getting a vibe for what they're looking for. And I, if I'm focused on collaboration first rather than being a producer who's kind of like a dictator and comes in and says this is how you have to sound Um, then we can start in the pre-production process where there's not as much pressure we're not making final decisions yet and I I preface it with that when we're going into it these series of sessions where we're preparing for the recording is where we're going to explore ideas and I'm going to bring up some things that I'm hearing but I give them the understanding that if there's anything that I share with them that they're not feeling that would go in the right direction sometimes I might push them a little bit to let's just try it and see how it sounds and if you don't like it nothing's set in stone yet we can always revert back Um, but to try to have them keep an open mind, but I let them know at the end of the day, your name is going on the front of this record and you have to, you can make the final decision and I will be happy with it either way, as long as you're happy with it. And that's just my personal approach to how I like working with artists. Is there room that you leave in that for let me sleep on it and I want you to sleep on it so that we may think that we know what we agreed to today, but before you come back and we actually hit record, Mm -hmm maybe somebody is going to come up with a new idea or someone's going to back off of something that we talked about today. Do you leave room to on the timeline for that to happen, for things to change just at mm-hmm. home? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big part of the pre-production is that we're in this stage where we're really just experimenting. And, and the, the goal at the end of our, my pre-production process is to have like a new demo of the song. Um, and in some cases, some of those elements end up making it onto the record. But what we're really doing is just experimenting with arrangement and instrumentation without anything that needs to feel like it's set in stone to make the artist feel comfortable of going through and, and trying things out. I like it. I like it. You moved to Nashville at the age of 20. Where did you move from and what was the goal in heading to Music City, being that you're not talking about being a performer? Uh, well, I grew up in Detroit, a uh, really vibrant music scene. Um, and when I got out of high school, I moved to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I went to an audio production school mm. uh, for about a year. And then I got done with there and moved to Nashville. Uh, one of the things that drew me to Nashville was that when I was trying to figure out where I wanted to land and begin my career, 
um, I looked at, I basically felt like I had three options. It was New York, LA or Nashville. And, um, my experience in Nashville, the people that I met there, um, the, the general vibe in the community, uh, just felt really inviting. It felt like a good place where I could, um, plant my roots and, and get started. Um, and the way that the Nashville community is, is kind of set up, it's kind of a, a small town with all the big city kind of opportunities as far as the music industry goes. So that definitely motivated me to go there. Um, also, it was much more affordable than those other options. So, uh, being a kid, just getting out of school and, and getting, getting started. Um, and, uh, and so that was what ended up having me, you know, lead there. But being that you had gone to Minnesota for audio production school, was that your vision going to Nashville is I want to do this full time in Nashville? Like I said, as opposed to a lot of people who say I'm going there to be a songwriter or I'm going there to become an artist. Um, initially my thought was that I was going to move back to Detroit where I grew up because I loved the music scene there and, uh, and I, mm. I thought that my career would be there and that's where, you know, it felt like home. But as I learned more about the music industry, as I was getting my education, I learned that the, at, at that time, at least it felt like the level of impact that I wanted, that I hoped that my career could have. Um, I needed to be in a place that was a music center. And so that ended up, you know, being that place. So you had hoped to land an internship or an entry-level job, and that fell through. So rather than head back home, what did you do next? Well, yeah, I moved to Nashville um, with the opportunity for an internship at a major labels recording studio. And when I showed up for work the first day, I learned that we had a little miscommunication on the requirements for this internship. And So to make a long story short, that fell through. But I had a lease on an apartment for a year. Mm. I had enough money to survive for a couple months. And... While I felt really defeated, I had a lot of support from my friends who had seen me since I was in middle school know that what I wanted to do with my life was, you know, work in the music business and um, either as a songwriter or producer and, you know, just had support around me for my family as well that I just had to um, dive in and figure it out. You know, you're there, at least give it a shot. So my first step was really just to uh, start to learn how the town worked and meet as many people as I could. And then I just, I went to the library and I bought every book I could find on freelancing and business and <laughs> entrepreneurship. And, um, because I, I determined that without a connection with a major university or someone that was going to land me that had an internship program that mm. was going to have a connection with a studio that could land me somewhere, it, it seemed to be near impossible for me to be able to, um, to be able to find an entry level position there. Mm. And it was a difficult time for the music industry. I moved to Nashville in, uh, 2006 um, the economy in general was rough and the music industry was challenging. Major studios were shutting down left and right. And there, there really, there really weren't any jobs. So the, the freelance path was, was kind of my only option. Um, if I wanted to stay focused on working on commercial records and talk about perseverance, you had two pretty big setbacks. Tell the audience what those were and the lessons that you learned from them. Well, one of the probably most, most challenging things was, probably about six months or so into being in Nashville, I had started to, I set up a little studio in an, in an apartment that was above a publishing building on, on Nashville's music row where all the labels and studios and stuff are. And I slept on the couch and just made mm. it this little kind of makeshift studio. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, and I had started developing a, a, a decent, um, decent re repeat clientele and I was staying pretty busy, still had a part-time job to completely pay my bills. But things were moving along and I was feeling pretty motivated and, you know, maybe this thing is going to, you know, work out. And my part-time job was DJing at a club downtown in mm -hmm. Nashville. 
uh, one night I got done DJing. I drove back to my apartment and walked up the stairs and went to open my door, and it was unlocked. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I must have forgot to lock my door. I opened it up, and everything except for my couch and I guess my like silverware and dishes was gone from my apartment. Wow. Uh, all the the I didn't have a lot of equipment at the time. You know, I was just getting started. But like the first four track cassette recorder that I bought in in middle school to start to learn engineering and stuff was gone. It had no value. I don't know why they wanted to take that. But <laughs> um, and then some of the things that actually did have value: the, the computer that I had interface, the one microphone that I had, and basically all the all the tools that I had as a as a tradesperson to be mm. able to make a make any sort of living. And it was all gone. So I just, you know, obviously my heart just dropped to my stomach and, um, and I felt like, man, this is it. There's just, it, there's too many signs that are just saying that this is probably not what I'm, you know, cut out yeah. to do or whatever. But fortunately, um, after I called the cops, I called my dad and he was very supportive and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm getting on, a, I'm going to find the next flight out to come down there mm. and be there with you and help you out and see if we can, you know, maybe track down some of this stuff or, um, or if anything, just, you know, just kind of help you, um, get some stuff back, you know, up and going again. And so he came out and hung out with me for a couple of days after I got off the phone with him, I walked down to this little balcony that was on the second floor of the uh, building that, that I was in. And you could, I could open up this little window and sit out on this balcony and look down music row at all the studios and label offices and stuff. And I just sat there and just kind of in disbelief, you know, just kind of stunned or whatever. And I just remember this thought going through my mind of seeing the opportunity that was up and down the streets and recognizing that everyone came here at some point without knowing someone and you know had to get their start and the people that are sitting in the penthouse offices in those buildings right now and are, and are doing what they set out to do you know everyone had to start where I was starting at mm. and if in that moment I made an agreement with myself that I wasn't going to give up regardless of what happens and I felt if I could get through this I mean, what else could happen that would be worse than starting from scratch again? Um, and that's that was really a driving factor that helped support the next couple of years of um, just really focused and motivated, intentional work on trying to develop my career and meet as many great people and work as, with as many great artists as possible. I love this. I love this. You're right. All the signs were there. It would have been so easy to just say, okay, clearly... There's nothing wrong with going back to Detroit, great music city, like you said before. And instead, to really, it's in an emotional time like that, when your place has just been robbed and you're sitting there and you, okay, dad's going to come, that's great. But it'd be real easy to look and say, uh, I, what am I doing here? And and to have such a breakthrough moment, and like you said, make that agreement with yourself, my hat's off to you because I think nine out of 10 people would have said, okay, I'm done. And heading back so hats off to you I, I i gotta ask you though you said you know what else could happen etc so what was the other big setback because to me that's like <laughs> i don't i don't want to say i don't need to hear another one but it's like wait a minute so this guy got up off the mat twice to use a boxing analogy oh what i think you might be referring to is i guess i mentioned that in the you know the wrong order the the first kind of thing that happened was when i moved to town for an internship that fell through which we had kind of talked about earlier and um I think what I what I learned from that is that when I was in school, and I think still the way that that a lot of audio and, and trade schools are approaching the career path education of what we do as producers and engineers, is a focus that maybe a little bit, in my opinion, 
a little too far leaning on like the traditional model of how getting a job works where you the, they they tell you you know get to town network find an internship um you know as as an assistant at a commercial studio you know kind of work your way up but there's not a lot of discussion about the um like what the next what the next step would be and the reality is that most commercial studio internships are um are and they can be great experiences to put you in a strong environment to uh, to meet other uh, people that are kind of the same place that you are but realistically commercial studio managers don't want you to be on sessions like in sessions they're not going to be around clients if you say that you're there to network you won't get hired mm. and there's still i think a path and i have colleagues that i work with that, that found that path and it worked really great for them uh and so i think that it, i i think what i learned from that is that it's important to think about your own personality and what would be the best path for you understanding that there's more than one that it's not as simple as get, as other career paths might be where you get a degree you get an entry-level job you, know, you work your way up there's definitely the potential for that but i find that more and more often we at least like, like with my experience i never had an internship or a job anywhere uh i, I built a client base and worked my way up and then eventually built a business mm. around you know my work as a producer wow. um there's there's other folks that um you know find a really great position as uh, an assistant for a producer or an engineer and then are able to build their own you know clientele through uh through working that way um in other cases there's there's um a lot of online marketplaces where producers and engineers can find work working with artists mm -hmm. remotely um and there's uh there's like editing jobs that you could do like working for a mixing engineer or, or, or a mastering engineer um i think what was what was important was for me to learn that i needed to figure out what my strongest skill sets were really focus in on that being the thing that led the conversation when i met with someone that could potentially i could ha potentially have an opportunity with and that's really when i started finding um steady work was when I had to focus on a specialty and I thought a little bit more outside of the box than like the traditional path of, of building a career. Yeah, and the traditional path might be that you get an internship at a studio and guess what? All you do is you go get the coffee or at best it's when the client shows up, give them a little tour around, bring them back to the control room and then head back out to your desk because like you said, we're not asking you to be in here in sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's some situations where, like I said, I have friends that started that way. They internshiped at the studio for a while. They became an assistant engineer, became a lead engineer, and, uh, and have had great careers you know, through that path. So I think that it, that works for some people. Um, but then if someone goes into it thinking that they're going to really use it as a networking opportunity to build relationships and, you know, and then go out on their own, that may not be the best place to, to start. So what I learned from that experience is, was just trying to edu educate yourself more on how the industry works as a whole and not and understand that there's not one path that is necessarily fits everyone. Yeah, and I also want to back up to something that you said earlier about the person who moves to Nashville and doesn't know anybody because there's people that move there because they do know somebody, but at the end of the day, it's kind of what you're talking about right now. You still got to have the talent. Like the person might say, I'll make a one referral for you or I'll make an introduction for you. But if you're not a talented producer, if you're not a talented musician, if you're not a talented songwriter, you moved there just based on somebody that you thought was going to open all the doors for you as opposed to they might open one or two. Yeah, there's a really important principle of that, that I talk about quite a bit that I've, I've sort of coined, I guess, or figured out to describe this is uh, leading with patient persistence. A lot of people say you just got to be patient, you know, and, and, and uh, wait for your time and, and just work hard and, you know, and through that. But I think sometimes when people hear just be patient – 
they feel a little bit more comfortable just kind of getting by on their part-time job when they have some extra time they might sit down and write some songs they'll play a show every couple months you know that's not the persistence that's necessary in order to be able to build a long-term successful impactful career in the industry and while they while they may be thinking well i just need to be patient and wait for that right opportunity there's too many resources out there for artists now for you to wait for anything everything is at your disposal you have all the tools to be able to build your audience and put yourself in front of the people that can support the growth of your career and if you're looking for the label deal or the publishing deal or the management deal um, all that is going to come from you having built your audience already so but it equally is important to be patient while you're leading with intense persistence because i found um, and i've continued to find that uh, the more motivated and excited and persistent you get, you can get a little too excited and sometimes blow an opportunity because you're trying too hard. And in other, and in other cases, just feel defeated constantly because things aren't moving fast enough. Um, my best friend, Sean, gave me a really great perspective on that. And, and he's reminded me of it multiple times throughout the 16 years that I've been in Nashville and in this business. Um, and we grew up together and, um, and uh, played football together when we were in high school. And, um, so he knows that this has always been my, you know, dream and, and, you know, career path and stuff. So whenever we're talking and I'm kind of a little down because maybe I, I thought that this great opportunity was going to come through and somebody else ended up, you know, getting the, getting the gig or I'm just looking back at the end of the year on, on uh, my progress and feeling like maybe I haven't progressed enough um, and looking at the major goals that I have and which ones I haven't checked off the list yet and just feeling like, man, maybe this just th- those goals are never going to happen. You know, he's always reminded me to go back and remember where you started from, and look at how far you've come along. And you can do that even in the very early stages of your career without all of the w- wonderful um, opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to have so far. Uh, and he shared this with me really early on, you know, a couple of years into being in Nashville. And whenever I get bummed out and we're talking, he always reminds me of it. Um, and just thinking back to like what inspired you in the first place, you know, to, to go after it. And, um, and then looking at where that starting point was and thinking about all the little really great experiences and really impactful steps that you've had along the way, no matter how small you're making progress. And as long as you're continuing to make progress and move forward, then that still means that you have the opportunity to get to the place where you want to be. Well, and let's face it, there are so many people who move to Nashville and then end up moving out that as much as you did move there for music, and I'm talking about the anonymous you, not Sean Giovanni, but the person moving to Nashville for music and no, maybe things like you said aren't advancing as quickly as you'd like them to. But the fact that you are holding down that waiter job or that waitress job or that DJing job and you're able to pay your bills and you're able to continue on, with, granted, music is the focus, that in itself is a victory to be celebrated because you're not one of the people that moved there and six months later is already moving back. And I think, as you said, th- there are some real extremes. You don't want to be so patient where you're, I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to burn any bridges, but you also don't want to be so aggressive that, like you said, that you made a great point. You're losing opportunities because you're being a little bit too. So I, l- I love that balance. And we're going to continue talking about in the second half of the show, but these are excellent points that you're making. And I think you're able to make them because you're preaching what you've experienced yourself. And, and like you say, your friend reminding you, look at where you came from and starting off this interview by telling that story about what you overcame. I think it, 
makes it more applicable when you're giving someone that advice. And if they're kind of looking at you and hemming and hawing, you go, let me tell you my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it's definitely, I'm definitely speaking from, you know, experience. And there were, there were times where I learned the hard way about um, being a little bit too advantageous about something and kind of blowing an opportunity to build the relationship. Um, there's a, there was a particular time where I had the, I was connected with this um, really great person in the, in the industry through a, through a colleague and, um, they thought that there'd be some synergy kind of between what I do and them. So they agreed to have lunch with me and we had an incredible conversation. We talked about a number of different things and I was so excited about their excitement about what, what I was doing and, and the potential for us to work together that I said, uh, they, I said, yeah, I'll follow up with you, you know, to, uh, this evening and, and kind of recap what we talked about and see if we can get a few of these things going. And I got so excited. I sat down and I wrote this email that was way too long. It was like a page long of like five or six different things that we had talked about all of which when I'm assuming that that person read that like just immediately just either just went to the next email um, or just kind of put it on unread again and went back to whatever they were doing because there was just way too much information Mm -hmm. and unfortunately I ended up never being able to uh, he never responded back and we were I never able to you know kind of follow up with it and I'm nearly certain that that's specifically because I just like dug in a little bit too deep on all these different things we were talking about and just sent an overwhelming sort of thing about, yeah, let's do this and let's do that and we'll do that instead of just focusing on one particular priority mm-hmm. that would be a great way to be able to casually start that connection, you know, and, and explore something. Um, and I, I've, I found that also in the in the sort of, you know, networking mixer, you know, environment in the in the early stages, I was so excited and so advantageous to find any opportunity that when I would meet someone new that could, that I felt like could potentially, uh, that I could potentially, you know, support in some way. Um, I would try to figure out a way to work in like every single possible skill set that I had that could potentially be of interest to them. And I learned very quickly that that, that, that led to a fairly brief conversation. Um, and, uh, and, you know, people lose interest pretty quickly because there's nothing to focus on. So I, I, I eventually found that, that really focusing on a specialty um, in, the, in the early stages was, it was, was really helpful because it helped me zero in on that. It didn't necessarily mean that every single person that I met with, I, that was going to be the right thing for them. But when I did meet the right person that it was the right thing for, that connection was so much stronger. Yeah, yeah. I love that advice. And, and I love you coming to that realization yourself because it is easy to get caught up and say, I have so much to offer. They need to hear all nine things that I can do. <laughs> and then you start realizing at this point, I might as well not say anything because it's all just way too much. And so I love that right. you came to that realization and said, I'm going to pick one. That's the one where I'm going to flourish. And and again, to have kind of that come to Jesus moment where you go, you know what, I'm going to focus on that one. And there's going to be some people that just don't want it. And I just have to know that there's going to be people out there that do want it. Yeah, absolutely. And many times the person that didn't necessarily need that knew someone that did and then ended mm. up referring me to someone else. Yeah. So you opened your own recording studio. Tell me all about it. Has it always been called the record shop? How did you get those those first clients? And, you know, when did you start to see that, okay, like I am going to be successful with this. This is going to be what I'm going to do. Well, it started because I couldn't get a job. So I uh, was freelancing for a while and uh, all the kind of books that I was reading and education that I was trying to get and mentorship around building a reputation. um, I felt like I was in a little bit of a challenging position where I didn't have many connections. I I didn't, I didn't go to, you know, like uh, a big music school in Nashville where you're sort of introduced to all these, you know, executives and stuff. And 
I felt like maybe the most empowered way that I could start to expand my reputation was to build a brand around my work as opposed to being um, Geo the freelancer. Um, I could create a company, a production company, um, that would encompass the work that I do, and that could sort of be the the uh, introduction, you know, to me as a as a producer. Um, so I came up with the name uh, the record shop because um, I was just doing a lot of brainstorming and uh, thought, well, like, what do we? What does our business make? We well, we make records, you know. We don't physically make records, but yeah, we, you know, we, yeah. we through the process of doing that, um, and then also the tie into like you know record store where you go in and have this wide you know selection of things to choose from uh so i get a lot of phone calls uh mistakenly <laughs> people that are looking for like rare vinyl and stuff um but i just thought it had a cool you know uh ring to it but the idea was that i wanted to i wanted to develop a production company i wasn't really interested in um opening a co- commercial studio in the traditional sense mm. the uh the commercial studio model traditionally has a pretty low ceiling of of revenue and and opportunity for impact outside of like the artists that choose to you know to record there and the business can only survive at the level that they can book their studio per day Mm. um minus whatever their overhead you know expenses are um so i didn't see that in the future of the music industry being a a very great uh starting point for someone like me like as a startup i needed to think creatively about how to come at it from a little bit of a different perspective and also something that would support what I was the most passionate about because I didn't necessarily want to run a facility. I wanted to be a producer. So the idea around the record shop as a, as a production company is that we're focused more on projects uh, as opposed to now that, now that we actually have a studio facility. Initially, it was, I didn't have a facility, so I rented other studios for the mm, projects that okay. I was working on. So we were just strictly a production company. Uh, now we have a studio facility, but the business model is still is still the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good majority of the projects that we work on are, are artists that we're working with long term. We're working on uh, projects, and and I'm producing their projects. But oftentimes we're doing um, visual media for them, video production, social media content, wow. um, setting up photo shoots for them. Wow. Um, I don't do I don't physically do yeah, any of those yeah. things, but we help uh, set them up as a as a company, so it helps. Um, I guess expand the different uh, revenue streams that you know business could have, and it's been a great way to be able to support my focus on being able to find artists that I feel really creatively connected with, and know that my business can still like operate, and I can have a really focused intention on uh, being a you know being a producer. So where it started was just meeting as many artists as I could, and. Uh, in Nashville, it's fairly easy. Uh, you can go to the grocery <laughs> store and somebody's playing, uh, you know, a show. So, um, you know, just walk down the street and you'll find somebody, you know, performing. <laughs> the challenge is finding the right people. And so my first thought was that, you know, go to the most popular places. Uh, go to the places where the publishing companies are hosting, you know, a showcase for their writers. And, you know, that's where the industry is going to be and that's where the best writers are going to be. But I learned very quickly that those those are good places to have on your list of places to go, but they weren't necessarily the places where I was going to find work. Reason being, that publishing company has their team, mm. and that established hit songwriter has his their go to you know um, producers and engineers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff, and and studios. So until I have that um, industry recognition. Uh, you know, and, and resume, that environment is not necessarily going to lead to work. It can lead to starting relationships. Uh, so that was still on my list. But where I found actually like finding work was more like the dive bar writers rounds and the places where people were just going and signing up on a sheet and, you know, playing. Yeah. Now it, it does take um, definitely going to more of those to find really high level talent and someone that you feel like you also connect with creatively. 
but eventually I started discovering, you know, those, those people. But also if I can jump in, the other problem with those is you can go to the Commodore grill, you can go to listening room, you can go to all these places, but sometimes you're getting people who live in Missouri and they're just in for one night because they go, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get a chance to play at the Commodore. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go, well, you know, I'm kind of looking for Nashville artists. And you know, then is the person good? Like you said, do you vibe with them? Is it someone you're going to work with anyway? So as glamorous as it might sound to the audience right now going, that doesn't sound so bad going and sit and listen to all this live music and meeting cool people. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but he's trying to run a business though. I mean, Gio's trying to find people that, you know, will pay for your services and not just sit there and say, yeah, I went and listened to live music last night. Yeah, so I did. That's what I absolutely we had. To, I had to go to a lot of shows, meet a lot of artists, and you know, meeting dozens of artists before you find one that you feel you know connected with and that actually would need the help of yeah. myself. Uh, but it was an important revelation, I guess, to un- understand that when you're in the early stage of your career, at least for me, my goal was like I was like I'm a hardworking person. I'll work harder than anybody else. I'm going to come to town. I'm going to figure out a way to work to network my way into. Um, working with superstar artists and you know being but you 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 can't get in there they already have their circle they've already been in town for a decade or decades and they have those really strong formed relationships so what i needed to focus on was the people that were like me but doing something different you know there were artists that were brand new to town that didn't have that team around them yet and uh and as soon as i started focusing on that i started uh you know landing landing more work now it eventually it, it definitely took quite a bit of time and you know there were plenty of artists that i worked with that um you know ended up being the ones that would um decide to you know move home or kind of you know pack it in and and you spent a lot of time working with them and um and then others that um you know there's common thing about just you know the broke artist mentality that just no one has money you know to pay for anything and so there's you know, that, that type of thing as far as from like a, you know, business perspective, but I just really tried to lean in on working with artists that I felt really creatively connected with. And eventually, um, I would say about three to four years into being in Nashville, a few of those artists started getting publishing deals and small independent record deals, um, getting signed with a management company. And there was a particular rock band that I was working with. Um, they were called stone crossing and they were they got signed to a management deal that management company's office was in the same building as a recording studio on music row and so that they had a good relationship with them i had done all of their demos uh the the management company said hey we have access to the studio for you guys but the studio owner needs to you know produce it uh so i was a little bummed out because i'd worked with you know developing all that stuff but i thought hey this is a great opportunity if i if they'll just let me come and hang hang out you know for the sessions and stuff Mm -hmm. You know, this project that I cared a lot about was felt like it was kind of being, you know, taken away from me a little bit. But um, rather than having an ego about it and uh, trying to fight it and be upset, I looked at it as an opportunity um, to build a relationship with, you know, a, a, a new group of folks and stuff. The great thing that came out of that was that by the end of that project, I was producing it again and I, and I, oh, I ended wow. up mixing it. Wow. Um, because the, the people there recognized, you know, Geo built this project with him. He's just, yeah. I, th- I feel like the guys would agree that I was uh, he, uh, just as much part of the band, you know, um, because we were really developing things together um, from the ground up. And uh, the other great thing that came out of that was that I developed a really great relationship with the owner, Pat, and he was kind enough to let me um, use his studio at a very reasonable rate um, uh-huh. after hours on the weekends, that sort of thing. And so that was a really great um, turning point that helped 
open up more opportunity for me because up until that point the only place that i had to record with the artists that i was working with that could afford was my little apartment studio mm. so i was a little bit limited in what i could do there and we definitely got creative with with things and um, <laughs> there was a time where i thought it would be a great idea on a sunday morning to bring a drummer in the apartment <laughs> And record drums, and the cops were there in like 15 minutes. <laughs> and then they left, and I was like, well, there's no way they're going to call again. Let's just finish this track. And then oh they my came gosh. back, and then oh I got gosh. a ticket. And wow. then they were like, really, you can't, <laughs> you can't do this. Um, but, you know, there's a will, there's a way. We had to figure out a way to get, you know, get the track done. So um, that to say, now I had access to, you know, to a, to a studio yeah. that the level of, of artists that I was working with could afford to work in. And, um, and so it, it, uh, it allowed me to up the quality of the projects that I was working on, um, have better equipment to use. Mm, fantastic. And uh, it was a really great, um, you know, turning point. Yeah. Fantastic. So Gio, do you still go out to music row freak show? Do you still go out to Belcourt taps? Do you still go out to places like this looking like we were talking about before? Or is it like, no, by now I'm so established. Like people know who I am. I just get so many referrals. What does that look like now? Uh, well, it's a little bit of both. There's definitely... Yeah, I think there's this idea that like once you have experiences where someone would say like you made it, quote unquote, you know, you know when you make it that now just everything is like just a, a uphill, you know, some you're on like a ski slope and they're just taking you up there and you yeah. don't have to climb anymore. Yeah. And it's definitely not that way. It's uh, you're, you're only as successful as the last successful project that you worked on. And you're really only successful in the moment of the success of that project. After that, you're just out trying to find the next success point yeah. you know to be able to make it happen yeah I like so that. um there's uh so there's the, no i there's not a, a point that i think i'll ever get in my career where i'm just sitting there just waiting for someone to call and offer me the next incredible project you definitely have to continue to go out and look for it but i will say that i'm very fortunate to be in a position where i do get a lot of referrals and i have a lot of really great you know relationships in the industry where someone will meet an artist and they'll say hey man geo would be a great producer for you to work with and um, there's a professor at Belmont, uh, his name's Jamie Wigginton, vocal professor and vocal, really great vocal coach. Um, he travels the world training vocalists and stuff. And, um, he's become a, a really great friend of mine and is also someone who has his ear to the ground of really great talent. So he's a good example of someone that, you know, I've developed a really strong relationship over the years. We met because, um, he was the vocal coach for an artist that I was producing. So he got brought into the studio and we hit it off right away. So, um, He'll uh, he'll send me artists from time to time and just say, hey, I'm working with the student. They're incredible. Um, I think you should hear them and see if they might be somebody you know you'd want to work with. So there's a lot of lot of relationships like that. But what about I made the example before of the person that comes into town and plays a writer's night, and you find out oh they live in St. Louis. I can't help them. Do you help people from out of town? I mean, with you know cloud oh, sharing and yeah. stuff, and people send stuff back and forth that way. Yeah, I work with people all over the world. Um, there's, there's some of them that I work completely remotely with a lot of the people that are like way overseas. Um, uh, we do, I do a lot of stuff with some DJs in like, uh, Sweden, um, and, uh, and then like the UK and stuff. So there's, there's artists over there that may not always come here. Um, but some of them do. Uh, and then as far as people that are like live in the States, but aren't in Nashville, you know, who doesn't want to come to Nashville and hang out for a week and make a record. So, um, with some of them I work with remotely, um, many of them I end up working with, they come into, you know, into town. So, uh, where they live is not, not, does not have okay. an impact on whether or there not you I go audience, the door is open. So regardless of where you're listening to this from, if what you're hearing is something that you want to pick Geo's brain about and see if it's a fit, 
By all means, you are welcome. I'm joined today on location at the NAMM Show in Anaheim by record producer, audio engineer, educator, and record studio owner, Sean Giovanni. Visit his website at therecordshopnashville.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. On his website, look for the services section where you can find out more about what Giovanni does. And of course, look for the social media icons on his website to follow him on Facebook and Twitter, as well as links to videos from his studio. I am recording this two days after I posted a new story on the homepage of my company website, introducing the newest Now Hear This client. How did she and I meet so that I can get in a position to become her publicist? She called me on the OWL app. In fact, two days after this episode comes out, I have a call scheduled with someone else who called me on the OWL app and is interested in learning more about the publicist services that Now Hear This offers. These are the kinds of real connections that are being made on OWL, and now you know why I talk about them every week, even though they're not a sponsor, they're not paying me to talk about them. Get onto it so you too can start making these kinds of meaningful connections. By the way, it's like the bird, except with two W's and two L's. The app is free to download. I have instructions, links to get it from the App Store or Google Play, and I have the invitation code, which is a required field when you're setting it up on your phone, in an article on my podcast website, nhte.net. Tap or click the home button on nhte.net and then dig into the article that I'm referring to whose headline is Help Now an App um, Phone Call Away. Gio, before we start talking about some of the big names that you've worked with, I want to revisit how you'd mentioned before about patient persistence, which sounds like it's right up my alley because I have said for the longest time that the four P's approach that I take with now hear this is patient, polite, professional, but persistent. And why I wanted to revisit this with you is because I would love to hear your advice when an artist says, but we know that there's a lot of no's in this business. So I guess I just have to take them all and sit back and wait for the yeses. I think I would look at all of the resources that an artist these days has to be able to get themselves in front of people. If you hear a no, you should retain that information and maybe try to understand why. Maybe you can't always ask why, but you could think through the interaction and figure out what did I not present that made myself a good fit for whatever that opportunity was. Or did I present too much with an email right. that was too long? Yeah. And, uh, and either way, figure out what could turn that into a yes next time. Keep that in the back of your mind, and the next time that oppor- a different type of opportunity that's similar comes up, you'll have a better opportunity to be able to get a yes to happen. It's really important to be aware of the things that are holding you from that and then work on them. Don't necessarily look at them as things that can't be worked past because everything can be continued to be improved upon and learned and, uh, and worked around, but you have to have that persistent you know, mentality uh, to be able to you know, find, find a new way. Uh, but I try to do that anytime that I run into a situation where the, the result of that interaction is not necessarily what I'd hoped that it would be. I try to archive that in my mind is like, what could I have done better and really think about it. And the next time that comes around, try to remember to, um, you know, to make a little bit of shift on what, how my presentation is or, you know, what was maybe missed that I could explain better, um, to be able to hopefully have success the next time around. It's great advice. It's great advice. You've been the engineer on albums by Clint Black, Bill Engvall, Big and Rich, Meatloaf. 
You did programming on a Jamie O'Neill album. She was the guest on episode 432 of this show. Awesome. Is there perhaps a story that stands out from working with one of those folks or perhaps someone that I didn't mention that's kind of a favorite of yours? Man, that's a great question. There are, I mean, I love my job because every day there's an amazing story, you know. Man, so many fun experiences with artists. I think probably the story that comes to mind the, the most for me is the first opportunity that I had to work with John Legend. And I think there's some like good lessons in it too, which is why I like sharing it. I was still DJing at um, the nightclub that was kind of keeping my, my bills paid if I had a slow week as an, as an engineer at this time. And, uh, but I was also working my way into managing a private studio for a, uh, a, a, an artist and songwriter named John Rich, who's a uh, half of uh, the group Big and Rich. And uh, so he had this studio that he was working out of, and um, and it was a, it was private, privately booked, you know, studio. But it was a lot of people like within their circle that would uh, that would book it out for different projects and things. And and I was working my way into to being kind of the main person there to help them run the studio. So uh, I'm DJing one night. It's like maybe around close to midnight, and my phone rings, and I see that John's calling me. Um, so of course I answer it, um, and. I was like, hey, what's up, man? Uh, he's like, hey, can you come down to the studio in 15 minutes? I was like, man, I'm uh, DJing tonight. Um, what's, you know, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm, I'm here with John Legend. We just finished writing a song, and um, we, we want to demo it, and we need somebody to, you know, to record it. And I, I thought for, I don't know, maybe two seconds, and I said, yeah, no problem. I'll be there, <laughs> be there in 10 minutes. Uh, so I turned around and walked out the door, and as I was walking down the door, I grabbed the manager, and I told him, hey, man, I got a call. I have to leave. I'm terribly sorry. If I don't have a job tomorrow, I, I got to go. Wow. This was the only job that I had that was giving <laughs> me any sort of consistent income. But there was an opportunity for me to be able to, in 10 minutes, walk in a studio and work with an incredible artist on creating a, you know, a demo and hopefully could lead into you know, a relationship that, you know, that could build. And there's always another part-time job I can find. Mm, good so point. good point even though that secure i had that security blanket there was no question in my mind that i'm just gotta leave uh so i hopped in my truck and drove down <laughs> to the studio and you know showed up and they were just uh you know getting done with uh with kind of rehearsing you know the song out and i set up mm. the piano and the mics and um and we spent the you know the rest of the night you know tracking the song and stuff wow. and that was my introduction wow. to uh, to working with him and uh, wow. really fun moments. So cool. Yeah. I have a similar story with a client that I had booked to perform four consecutive nights in Nashville. And one of the nights that we were there, the place that we were at, I kept being told big people show up in here, big people show up in here. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I tell you that. Well, I'm not going to spend any time getting caught up in that. I was thinking this to myself. I didn't say it to anybody. And then as my client was on stage performing, sure enough, the guy comes over and whispers in my ear. He says, when she gets off stage, you can tell her that she just performed for John Rich and John Legend. And I said, what? And he said, look over there. And I looked, and there were John Rich and John Legend sitting there watching her perform. Wow. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's going to be just so nervous right now. And when she finished and I went up to the stage, you know, great show, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, were you able to see everybody out there? And she's like, no, I couldn't see anybody. The lights are in my eyes the whole time. And I said, well, that's great because guess, guess who you just played for? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, John Rich and John Legend were sitting there watching you. And one of them, I think it was John Rich, asked for her CD and you know, she just lost her mind, but I thought, oh, thank goodness that she couldn't see because that would have been a, you know, a really, really nervous moment. Um, the Record Shop Studios are located 
a bit outside of Nashville. Do you find that to be an advantage to be away from the craziness of downtown, away from Music Row? Not particularly. I don't think it's a disadvantage or an advantage. Um, it used to be, you know, in, in Nashville where being on Music Row was really important and like, you know, and being in that area. Um, I think that in the place that I'm at in my career, but also like the music industry in general, um, there's just more of a focus on, on just connecting with the right team, you know, versus the location in general. Um, I mean, we're still right in the general Metro Nashville area. Um, and there's some people that, you know, that mention, Hey, it's nice to come out here and kind of be away from everything. Um, they like that. It feels like kind of a comfortable, um, less, uh, uh, overwhelming, you know, kind of vibe or whatever. But I think that's more how we have the studio just kind of set up and laid out and just our general atmosphere than it is like the physical location. Of, and I love that concept. answer because I think it could be too easy, especially for a young artist, to think, wow, recording downtown, recording music, you know, somewhere where it's like you're getting too caught up in what the location is as opposed to the vibe and the team that's there and who you're going to be working with and the product that you're going to get. Don't get distracted by what the address is so I, I love that answer tell the audience about the studio musician academy and the team of mentors that you've put together yeah i'm really excited about the studio musician academy uh, about a year ago i was just kind of doing some thinking about um, the educational side and mentorship side of the things that i do um, I, i've become really passionate about that i work with the recording academy i work with a school called the recording connection uh, that, that trains uh, producers and engineers uh, I, I speak at all the universities around the general Nashville area and, um, and outside of, you know, around the country and stuff to do a ton of stuff here at NAM. And I've become really excited about being in a position where I can share my two cents or my experiences, you know, to hopefully be able to empower the next generation of creatives that want to be able to make a living doing what they love. I feel so blessed to be able to be in the position that I'm at now. Um, and I just want to give back as much as I can by sharing the information. I never really had a like really focused mentor or someone that I could really learn from when I was coming up, but I always really wanted one. And so I feel like that's another motivating factor for me to try to find creative ways that I can help share knowledge and information and experience. So as I was kind of thinking about that last year, I was um, thinking about how many calls I get from musicians, like instrumentalists, not necessarily artists or songwriters, but someone that's a, a guitar player, drummer, bass mm -hmm. player, keyboard player. That's, uh, that's moving to Nashville um, or, or just thinking about moving to Nashville and, and calls every studio in town. And so we get a lot of those calls. I say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm a drummer. I just moved to town. You know, if you got any work, uh, I'd love to, you know, to come in and, and play on a session for you. And I would love to help every single one of those people that called. Uh, when I was calling around studios, I got very few calls back. And I'm most sure. of the time, the people that answered sent me to a voicemail that, that no one responded <laughs> to. I sent out hundreds of or thousands, maybe, of emails that very few of them got responded to. Mm -hmm. and, and it was a very defeating thing. So when someone takes time to contact us through you know, phone or email, I always respond. And I'll share with them whatever I can do you know, to help or point them in the right direction if I can't. But So we get a lot of these calls. And um, I, I started recognizing that there's not a lot of education on how that side of the industry, how that, how those careers are developed. So I talked to a few of my session player friends and, um, and I found that they were also kind of thinking in this mode mm. about how our industry is the recording industry in general. There's a lot of resources that you can find to do what I do for a living. Um, as a producer and engineer, there's a ton of uh, platforms online where you can learn from the legends and, you know, and get really great insights on how they work. Um, there's, there's plenty of conferences and 
um, different uh, workshops and stuff to learn from record industry executives about marketing and um, and artist development and that sort of thing. Um, but as far as like the the gigging musician, the person that's trying to develop a re- you know really strong career as a you know as a, as a in demand uh, musician, um, there's there's not a lot of uh, you know career path kind of direction um, for that. And so we wanted to set out to create that opportunity. Our our goal is to be able to empower the next generation of, of studio musicians and gigging musicians. And we want to help empower them through teaching the experiences and the creative processes of the ones that are at the top of their game right now in the industry. Uh, so I started uh, a podcast uh, where I brought on, um, I started calling all the, the great players that I know and say, hey, let's, why don't you come by the studio and we'll set up, we'll have a conversation about what your career path looked like. I want to talk about your creative process, how you approach playing on records, how you come up with parts, how you come up with sounds, what kind of gear do you use? Um, you know, just kind of dive into their whole, uh, everything that has to do, you know, with their career. Um, we had a great time doing that. And then, uh, that led to the idea of let's, let's, let's create more like focused lessons around this, where if a guitar player wants to learn how to, uh, find a way to come up with really great, um, memorable licks in a song, Mm. um, let's grab a few guitar players and let's talk through with song examples, how you can execute that. So we want everything to be implementable where you you go through one of our, our courses or lessons and you can take away a practice that you can then make your own and and, uh, and and impact on your own sessions. So it's great for studio musicians. It's also great for artists that record themselves that are, you know, doing their own demos and they want to hear, you know, how do the how do the leading session players that are playing on the records that I love approach their creative process. And we found that it's really great for producers too, um, that are that are ones that are going to be hiring musicians like that because they can learn more how they think and you know and operate and that sort of thing. Are these classes in person in Nashville? Are they online for people all over the world? Is it a mix of the two? Uh, it will be a mix of the two. Right now, it's primarily online. So okay. studiomusicianacademy.com. We have our uh, we have you can sign up for a free account. Doesn't cost anything. Uh, we have free modules uh, for most of the mentors wow. uh, that you can just preview the stuff there's no like hidden thing it's not like here's 45 seconds and then you got to pay for the rest well we we should we show people what it's going to be like and then if they're really interested in it they can purchase the entire lesson or they can purchase a subscription to all of our content to have access to everything um so you can sign up for free there's no you know risk at all and you don't have to give us any information just make an account and check out the stuff if you dig it then there's um there's plenty of information on there and then we continue to add you know more stuff uh, and then our, our next, um, as we have, we're, you know, we're less than a year into developing this. So as that catalog is more solidified, um, we're very close, probably sometime this year, we're in conversation to start doing some in-person workshops mm, where okay. a select group of, of Studio Musician Academy members will be able to come in and work one-on-one or in a small group setting uh, with the, the mentors at their specific instrument. There's so much about what you're describing that I love and I think the part that I focused on the most, you and I are just meeting for the first time, but I sense that you have a servant's heart. And to be able to answer the phone and someone saying, hey, I just moved to town and I would love if you guys need anybody. I love that you're no longer saying, okay, send something over and yeah, we'll keep you on the list. Now you're saying, hey, that's great. Welcome to Nashville. By the way, here's something that we have. I think this would be really good for you as you get settled in here in Music City. So I love that you're like you said you answer every email you're not just sending people into this area where they know like okay i'm not i'm never going to hear back from them again right so hats off to you for saying i've been there and i want to give them something out of this phone call or this email 
Absolutely. I feel like if people are taking the time and making the effort to do that, then us as successful professionals have a responsibility to the next generation of our industry to be able to at least give them the time of day to give a helpful suggestion at the very least. Yeah, that's wonderful. You are here at NAM presenting a tech track called Playing the Part, How Top Studio Musicians Navigate the Recording Process. For those unable to be here for it, can you give a summary of what that session is about? Um, yeah, we're going to take a hit song with um, uh, two of our mentors, David Dorn, who's a keyboard player, and Miles McPherson, who's a drummer. And we're going to break down the creative process of what went into that song. So we start by listening through the work tape of the song and talking through how the conversation happens in the mm-hmm. studio around what the artist's vision is for it. And then we break down individual sections and parts within the song and just build the arrangement from the ground up to show how it was all created and what went through the creative minds of all the musicians that were hired to play on the song. Mm, So cool. So cool. We're going to close today with another song that Giovanni wrote and produced. This one is called For the Boys. Gio, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Yeah, I love this song. There's a great story about writing it. The artist is David J. David is one of the most inspiring young artists that I've had the pleasure of working with in the past few years. He set out on his own at, I think, around 15, 16 years old to get on social media and build a a fan base by sharing his passion around creating music. Mm. He uh, was very fortunate to build a really strong audience um, on uh, TikTok. He connected with one of my really good friends, Jordan Lake, who's another producer, and uh, Jordan started uh, helping him develop his artistry and his, his brand from the ground up. They've recorded um, a number of, uh, of, their, of the records at our studio, and this particular one is one that we all wrote together. So after working together uh, a little bit, um, I just suggested one day, hey, why don't we, why don't we go write a song on, the, on our boat? We have a lake right by the studio. It's about a mile away. We can hop over to the marina. We'll go out on the lake and write a song. Uh, so, uh, so we, we, we get out there and, you know, we're in the middle of the water just floating around and so we're just talking, what are we going to write about? And I don't recall exactly like where the exact idea kind of stemmed from, but we were throwing different ideas out and I thought like, um, the, uh, the, that the, there's all these songs about the, or there, there's one particular song for the girls, you know, um, and then there's, uh, but there's a lot of songs about like the, the women getting together and going out and having, you know, good time and that sort of thing. Uh, where's the song for like the guys to like, you know, to hang and stuff. I was like, so why, don't we, why don't we write a song for the boys, you know? And, uh, and so we just started throwing around ideas about, you know, if you're, if you're just in that mode of getting together with your buddies and, you know, and having a good time. And I think a lot of the energy from the, you know, from the song and the vibe kind of comes from us just sitting out on the boat that day and just floating around. And, um, and it was re- you know, really inspiring to, uh, to put together um so i would highly recommend checking out david and if you're an artist that's trying to figure out how to start to you know build that audience and and find a way to utilize the tools that are at your disposal um to be able to create awareness around your music and stick out amongst the crowd he is an incredible case study to see how to do that incredibly well um and uh and and how how it's possible for you know for anybody awesome awesome that has the talent Good stuff. Good stuff. This has been wonderful. Really, really great episode. I really enjoyed the conversation. Gio, thank you so much for making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Lots of fun. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to record producer, audio engineer, educator, and recording studio owner, Sean Giovanni. 
do be sure to visit his official website at therecordshopnashville.com and also studiomusicianacademy.com. I will put a link to both of those on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. As I mentioned before, engage with him on social media, meaning Facebook and Twitter, plus check out the videos from his studio. Be sure to let Gio know that you heard him. I now hear this entertainment. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thanks for having stuck with Gio and I. And I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you'll see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 479. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song produced by Sean Giovanni. This is the one he just talked about. It's called For the Boys. It's about time we had a song to raise them up and make some noise. This one's for the boys. I've been singing about dirt small towns all about my first love and how she let me down my last heartbreak and the one that got away from me there's something about the way that the notes ring out when you play a slow dance at a bar downtown that ain't this and this one ain't for me I can use a long night dropping Line, talking about nothing, waiting on a bite. Ain't never had a bad day, chilling on a tailgate, grilling in the parking lot before the game. It's about time we had a song to raise them up and make some noise. This one's for the boys. Sad, sad song, but it's Friday night and I just got off. We don't need a plan, we just need a place to meet. I can use a long night dropping down a trial line, talking about nothing, waiting on a bite. Ain't never had a bad day, chilling on a tailgate, grilling in the parking lot before the game. It's about time we had a song to read. This one's for the boys well, I can use a long night Dropping down a try line Talking about nothing Waiting on a bite Ain't never had a bad day Chilling on a tailgate Grilling in the parking lot Before the game There's nothing like a line drive Birdie Yeah.